We just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. He is here in the midst of us, isn't he? You know, Jesus was with the 11 in the upper room, wasn't he? He didn't leave them, did he? He was with them in the, in the upper room. He was with them through the Holy Spirit as we look through the book of Acts. And then they continued to spread that gospel. We just, just felt to pray out. They continued to spread the gospel all the way to this very moment. It's been spread from one person to another. Do you realize that you are here today because somebody told you about Jesus? And that somebody, somebody told them. And that somebody, somebody told them. Somebody shared the gospel with them. Right? Aren't you thankful that somebody shared the truth with you? Aren't you thankful that you wandered into the right church one day and you heard the truth, right? And not a foreign gospel and not a false gospel and that the Holy Spirit touched your heart that day. Aren't you thankful that God got a hold of you? That's His kingdom. That's how it works. I just want to begin to talk to you today. The Lord um, has really been on my heart heavy that in the Old Testament, they didn't go anywhere without the glory of God. And when they did, they got into trouble, didn't they? That Moses was led by the glory of God. Moses wouldn't have had an encounter with God. <laughs> he didn't even, actually, he didn't plan it. He didn't even know what was happening. All he knew that there's something to this moment, as I preached some weeks ago, and God got a hold of him. And then he didn't think he was capable, just like we don't think we're capable. We don't think we've got anything to offer this world. Well, we think we can offer this world our goods and our services, right? We think we can offer this world our personalities, and we can offer this world our, you know, we're not good with words, so we're going to offer this world our hands, and we're going to work hard. But then when it comes to the kingdom of God, we, we really belittle ourselves, and we don't think we have anything to offer. But as you transition from childhood to adulthood, you would never um, have a home and have the things you need if you didn't grow up a little bit, right? Grab a hold of the abilities that you have in you, whatever that is, and we're all different, and go out and use those abilities to get a paycheck to pay for those bills, right? But yet in the kingdom of God, so many times we get saved. God's done a miraculous work in us, and we're thankful for that. But Paul came to the Corinthian church and he said, the only thing is that I, I, I want to talk to you about some greater things and you should be doing some greater things, but I feel like I have to talk to you a little bit lower because you're acting like babies. So today I'm just going to give you milk, but I wish I could give you more. And so we can see that if that was the case with the Corinthian church, then that could certainly be the case with us today. Really just this, it's not even a generation away from Jesus. It was the same generation as when Jesus lived and already they were stuck in a place of, of loving what God had done in their lives, but not really doing anything with it, not growing with it. And that's not, it had to be dealt with quickly because that's not what God intended. You know, God is God. Anybody surprised by that statement? God is who he is. He is in control. And he could do anything he wanted. Does anybody want to argue that, that God can do what he wants? But God chose to put Adam and Eve in the garden. 
He chose to shine his glory on this earth through us, through humanity. And when Jesus comes on the scene and he's going to deal with religion, he's going to deal with sin, the very first thing he does to build a kingdom is goes out and gets disciples. He goes out and finds 12 people that he can pour himself into them. For three years, he's just going to pour his heart into them. They got to see behind the scenes, right? The world got to hear the parables, and they got to hear the hidden truths behind the parables. They even got to see things. John said, if I was to write down everything Jesus said and did, we can't even contain him in books. So we don't even know even a fraction of what they got to see, but they got to see the heart behind Jesus too, not just what he did. And in fact, Jesus, you can see his frustration a little bit with them at times where they're not quite getting what he's trying to get to them. Haven't you seen by now? Why, where is your faith? Haven't you seen by now that, that I love you and that I love these people and that I'm not going to abandon you, that I've got it figured out and that I'm working it out and so on? Just trust me. Just believe in me. And really, I don't believe that the timing was right for the cross until they were ready. And we can see, right, that they were dealing with things. Even Peter was dealing with things right to the very moment. But the cross can't happen until Peter deals with it. And he needs to deal with it. And post the resurrection, he comes to him and, and in a picture anoints him for a brand new purpose in his life, right? A new season in his life. And so on, the rest of the disciples. We are meant to carry God's glory. And we looked last week that it's a greater glory than Moses. It's a greater glory than we read in the Old Testament. And we read, though, that it was so great that when Moses had an encounter with the glory of God and he could only see it for a second and he had to be shielded by the hands of God and he could only see the back of him and when it happened, it says his face shone with glory. His face literally changed. There was a transformation on his physical face of what, because of what happened in a spiritual place. And yet, the Bible tells us that there's a greater glory and we don't have to be confused in fact, I've been just seeking the Lord this week on, uh, on this subject, and, and I feel like I've heard, and I've been in church my whole life, so I've, I've heard it. I've seen so many worship services where we're call, people were crying out for the glory of God and, and saying the glory of God was here and calling for the glory of God, but it literally tells us the definition of what the glory of God is. That greater glory is the Holy Spirit. There's no confusion. The greater glory is the Holy Spirit. It's not a mist, it's not a smoke, it's not your goosebumps, it's not the heat you feel, it is the Holy Spirit. Now, can you have uh, manifestations of his presence? Of course you can. Right, Tom and I were just talking before the service, and as he came back into the church, and he just started to share that a little bit, which was cool, because I talked to him beforehand, didn't know what he was going to share, just more confirmation that the Holy Spirit was speaking. But as we were talking, I just said, you know, I remembered... He couldn't stop crying every time he would sit here. It wasn't my words. It was just that the Spirit of God was dealing with him. And, and so there's, a, there's sometimes there's an emotional thing that's going to happen as he was coming back, into the, coming back to the Lord, coming back into the things of God. Every single week, it was the same thing. He's just weeping. But that's not it. 
that's just a manifest, that's just a, that's like a, an exterior, you know, the, the glory that was on his face was just an exterior view of what was happening internally. Moses could only reflect it and could represent it to the people, but it wasn't available for anyone else. We, as carriers of the Holy Spirit, carriers of the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, have the ability to carry Him and transfer Him. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? That is your purpose on this earth. I'm not saying that's why you were made. That's not why you were made. You were made for one reason, to have fellowship with God. But your purpose in this dimension on the earth, this time that we live in a body, you know, Paul calls it a tent, right? The, the purpose for this little bracket of time. Otherwise, Jesus can just, he'll just say, okay, you've recognized me. You've given me your heart. You, you know that it's from me. You, you know that it's my blood. You've been saved. Okay, let's go to heaven now. But instead, we live this life out here. And the word is very clear what we are here on this earth for. And that is to represent him. That is to be Jesus. You're not him. He's inside you. You don't need to tell someone, I'm Jesus, but I'm carrying Jesus. Somebody presented him to me, and now he's in me. My life has been changed, and now I'm a representative of him as we closed last week in, in Corinthians, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You know what an ambassador was supposed to do? It was supposed to represent the nation as close to its, not just represent the wishes of a president, but represent the, the whole nation, the heart of the nation, the love of the nation, the seriousness of the nation, or, or whatever else that nation reflected. The ambassador is supposed to be a picture of that nation. And we are supposed to be a picture of not just Jesus Christ, but also the kingdom of God. Because Jesus didn't just say the Holy Spirit is in you. He says, many things are in you, really. He also says the kingdom of God is within you. Really, what happened was some things got messed up through sin. And Jesus mended that tear between us and God. Jesus, he fixed the issue. And then I feel like a broken record as a preacher sometimes, but I have to say it again, and I'll keep saying it until I feel like I'm not supposed to say it, and that's not today, that Jesus didn't just mend you to fix you so that now you can go off and live your life and do your thing and, and just carry, you know, you carry with him, him with you, and now you just enjoy your life and you do your thing and you love Jesus and he's with you. And, and but we don't ever do anything with what he's done inside of us. That's not his kingdom. His kingdom is a reproductive kingdom. Even everything in nature, everything. Do you know, you know what happens to things in nature that don't reproduce? They die. We are supposed to reproduce. You know, even if everything in God's kingdom, even in the, the Jewish tradition, the grandparents were supposed to store up uh, an inheritance for the grandchildren. 
That was the tradition, Jewish tradition. Everything in God is, is about you doing something for the next person in front of you, the next generation, the generations ahead of you. It's amazing that we get to, that like Moses got to experience the glory of God. That's incredible. It's amazing that the disciples got to experience Jesus and got to walk with him and got to know him. That's amazing. And, and honestly, that's why we were originally made is to know him. So you can't then do his purpose on this earth without having that right anyway. If you run and try to do the purpose of your life to spread Jesus but don't really know him, you're just going to be spreading knowledge. Just spread ideas about Jesus. And the reason it doesn't seem to really catch people, you're not going to catch every single one. But the reason it doesn't really catch their heart is because you're just giving them information. But when they see a transformation, come on, in your life, then they don't even know why. But they say, I know, I, I want what you have. <laughs> I don't even know that you know Jesus. I didn't even know that yet. You didn't even get a chance to share the gospel yet, but they know there's something about your life. And then the gospel comes out of you and a change can happen in their lives. I want you to look with me in the book of First Peter. I'm going to look at a few chunks of scripture today and try to just give you a piece of what the Lord is beginning to just speak right now. I want to take this idea of God and his glory inside of us, like carriers of his glory. I kept having that go through my spirit all week, that we are carriers. We carry the Holy Spirit. We carry him. God is within us. And that's what the word says. That's not my opinion. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, you are, everybody say, I am. All right, don't be afraid to say that. He's talking to you. You are, so I am, a living stone. Everybody say, I am a living stone. That God is building into his spiritual temple. So it's not a work. When I say you doing, you're not doing I preached some weeks ago, you're just being. If you try to figure that out in your mind, that just sounds like gibberish in New Age, and it sounds like, you know, uh, an idea that, that can't really be figured out or, or walked out. And so don't try to figure that out in your mind. It's like an apple tree doesn't have to try to be an apple tree. If a seed was truly put in the ground that was an apple seed, then what's within it is apple DNA, and it can't help but produce an apple. It doesn't have to try. So God is doing the work, and yet you have to let it out of you. You still have to let him do it. You have to be moldable to him, but he's doing the work. It's not your work. It's him, but you are moldable to him. And it says, what's more, you are his holy priest. And I want to look at that maybe next week. So I don't want to be majoring on the priest part today, but there's two parts here. A is that everybody say, I am his temple, and I am his priest. You are his temple and his priest. And so Peter is talking directly referencing the Old Testament. He's directly referencing the picture that they had 
uh, of the temple and of a priest, of someone serving God at a building. And yet, he takes the building and gets rid of it in this metaphor and says, you are that building now. And it says, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, that's Jesus standing in the gap, that is Jesus being the door into that temple. That is Jesus being the sacrifice. It's Jesus being the ark within there. It's Jesus being the tree of life inside there. It's Jesus being the fire that never goes out, and so on. It's Jesus. It's through Him. All of those things pointed to Jesus Christ, and He is now within His temple, but it's no longer in a building. It's inside you. And it says that through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you, everybody say, I offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So God is building us. God is doing a work in you. And that's what happens the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, the work begins to happen. And all of you have experienced that. If you've truly said yes to Jesus, you know that work. You've experienced that work inside you. Your life should not be the same today as it was yesterday. There is no condemnation because he loved you and he was working on you the same as yesterday and today. But there is a change that has occurred. There is a building that has happened. There is a growth that is meant to happen. And that building and that growth is for Christ it is through Christ, and it's supposed to be getting to a place where we would represent His temple and represent Jesus within. It says in the book of John, actually before I move on, let me just read. It says, verse 9, but you, verse 9 says, you're not like that, referring to some worldly issues. He says, you are a chosen people. Say, I'm a chosen people. He says, you are royal priests, a holy nation. And the word holy is a fancy religious word. It wasn't meant to be. That's just what it becomes in society, right? We, we taint words. We change words' meanings. We, we diminish them, and we make them little. And, you know, the word like awesome is such a great grand word. You know, it describes God well, but it doesn't really describe your skateboard well. But people call their skateboard awesome. And so it's been kind of tainted but and, and changed into something that it's not. We think of it as like this, like, you know, religious, like, you know, the priest with his clean clothes at the front of the sanctuary and the holy water and all those things. But holy means separated. It means you're not like the world. You're not in the world. You're not worldly. You've been separated. You're God's. You gave yourself. You know, the priest was not his own. The priest wasn't even allowed to have his own home that God didn't give him. They couldn't just build their own thing and build their own kingdom. Can't, the priest can't just go make money. And the, the priests actually couldn't even feed themselves. I mean, they fed themselves with their own utensils. But I mean, they were supplied by God. In fact, it says God says even their inheritance was from the Lord. The priest was a separated person. He was not their own. And it says that they were God's own possession. As a result, you can, everybody say, as a result. So this verse, verse 9, is summing up what we just read. We're the temple. We're a priest. We're not like the world. We're not like we used to be. We've been changed, and he's still changing us. It says... You can show others 
the goodness of God. You show. It doesn't say God shows people how good he is. It says you show. Now, that's a play on words. Don't call me a heretic. I'm not saying that it's not God. What I'm trying to describe to you is it's God's kingdom. It's God's way. It is God. It's God using you to shine for him so they see him. And that's what it says in Matthew 5. If we read this verse, that verse in a moment. Actually, I'll just reference it right now. Matthew 5 says, let your light shine. Right? Who knows it? In Matthew 5, right? Let your light shine so that when they see your good works, whose good works? Ours. They see God's good works or they see your good works? They see your good works, but they glorify God. Why? Because they realize it's not you. In fact, the more they know you, then they really know it's God. The more they know you... That's too good to be too good to be you. Those good works are too good. For he called you, everybody say he called us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Isn't that amazing? He called us out. Say he called me out. We cannot be in this world any longer. We cannot be meddling. You cannot meddle in darkness. You cannot dabble in the world and then come into his kingdom. You can't be in the temple as a priest, but also going into the temples of the idols and of this world. But here's the thing. That's easy for us to, we get, we go, well, you know, I don't go to those other buildings and I don't go to those places and, and I don't go into those, those, uh, particular groups of people. But if the temple is an internal thing, then that means there's a place within inside you. Come on, there's a place inside you that must be purified, that must be holy, that must be separated. The word is clear. Just for sake of time, I'm just going to start to just say it and hopefully I can get the scriptures out. But the word is clear that it's your heart that God wants. He said, I didn't ever desire a sacrifice. That's not what I wanted. That was an acceptable way, but I didn't want a sacrifice. I wanted your heart. That's all I ever wanted. And so our hearts, when they are separated to God, when we have taken it from the poles of this world, when we take the poles of this world and we sever those things and we, we get out of the darkness and into the light where he's called us, he's called us into that place. And when we come out and into that place within him, in us, come on, that's what Jesus said. Come on, right? You know, if you know me, it's one of my favorites, right? John chapter 15, I and you and you and me. It's an inside him and him inside us. It's a one, oneness. And even marriage is a picture of that. Did you know that? Marriage is a picture of us in Christ. The two flesh become one. It's my heart and your heart, and we're one. And Christ is one within us, even in a marriage. Isn't that amazing? The Trinity. Isn't it cool how God really has his... His symbolisms are in everything, right? We look at everything in science and in nature and mathematics, and, and they try to separate those things from God, but all those things point to God. Everything points to God. 
God being the center of a marriage, just as like, you know, and they all have to work together. I've got to have my own thing with God. She's got to have her own thing with God. And then together we're one. Just as Jesus is his own and the Father is his own and the Holy Spirit is his own, but together they're one, working together as one. Amen. Isn't that amazing? And yet it says that Jesus in John chapter 2 Verse 13 says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. Verse 14 says, And in the temple area he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money, and Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. Jesus was not a wimp, doesn't give you the right to go in other people's churches and carry a whip, but Jesus was not afraid to deal with issues. And what you see here is that as much as it's about our hearts and as much as that's what all he wanted, yet here we are in the time of Jesus, and they had turned this thing that was just supposed to be a symbol of the connection of you and God. The only reason he even allowed the tent, you know, the tent of meeting turn into a building was supposed to be the symbol of your relationship. It wasn't just that's not where you find God, but that's you brought your sacrifice there. It was an internal heart. You couldn't just leave that place and be like, I'm going to leave the temple there and I'm going to go live like a sinner now but that you carried this picture. In fact, they made you put your hand, this is what Jewish history says, they made you put your hand on their head as they slit the throat of the animal. I know that's brutal, but so that you would feel the death of that animal and know that your sins transferred into that animal's blood. And that would be something that you would take with you, right? I think most of the women in here go to sleep that first night would still be thinking about the temple. The temple didn't just, wasn't just a place you went to, but you took it with you. You're supposed to carry it with you. And so Jesus is on the scene, and they had messed it all up. They turned this thing into like a business, and, and like it's, this is religion, and, and this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and, and uh, you know, this, is, this is the way we worship, and we go through this format and this formula and so on. And, and so he's dealing with issues. And he turns over their tables. It says, then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And the real issue here was that there was no heart in the sacrifice. It was just like, let me pay my dues. Let me just show up. Let me just... You know, read my Bible. Let me just do a little worship thing. I'll, I'll, you know, let me just attend a church. And, and you can do all these things with the right heart or the wrong heart, but they obviously had the wrong heart and just turned it into like this business thing. And well, we're Jewish. That's what we do. You know, it's sad. But if you meet many times, you can meet people who have religion intertwined with their culture and they don't even realize. They don't even realize. It's just what they do. It's how they've been raised. It's just, what, it's just part of 
who they are, and they don't even realize that they've been ingrained with like this religious system. And it's not just Judaism, it's any religious system. It can be a Christian system that Jesus wants to deal with and get rid of that system out of you because well, that's not what he wants. And, and what it causes is it causes a very selfish, it just causes a self thing. It's like, let me just go deal with this thing. I got to go deal with God quickly. Let me just deal with him and I go live my life. Verse 17 says, then his disciples remember this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. And 18 says, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And Jesus says in verse 19, sure, I'll show you a sign. I'll destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? Verse, 9, verse 20, they said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Everybody say the temple was his body. The temple was Jesus' body. What Jesus came on this earth, see, there's so much fullness to God. Isn't it, isn't it amazing as you begin to read his word and it just begins to unravel? There's so many layers and facets to God and who he is and what his kingdom is and what his word is. It wasn't a simple thing that Jesus did. It's simple to come to him, but it was a very complex thing that, that God did on that cross. Dealing with sin, dealing with the devil, dealing with religion, dealing with our stubbornness. And then somehow having grace and mercy working through it all. It's simple to turn to him, and yet it was not simple what he did. This was a well-planned, executed, well-executed plan of God on this earth and for humanity. But Jesus is painting a picture here in fact, the temple gets literally torn down sometime after that, right? It's not too much longer that the Romans finally just say, enough of this, we're tired of you Jews, and we, they just destroy it. Just destroy the whole thing. And it doesn't even get rebuilt until, uh, we don't know the exact plan, but until Revelation says in some way, shape, or form, you know, Again, we don't know. We believe it's coming. We don't believe it might even be in the works. We don't know, but that was it. And isn't it interesting that Jesus had, Jesus had transferred what they were just not getting in attending a building. They were attending a building and they just weren't getting it. So Jesus says, let me just tear this thing apart. Come on, isn't that amazing? Come on, Christians, you're not meant to just go attend a building. Don't we realize that Jesus dealt with that 2,000 years ago? Come on, isn't this amazing what Jesus did? 2,000 years ago, he got rid of the building. And yet today, if you ask someone if they're a Christian, the very first question is what? What church do you go to? I usually say I don't understand the question. 
Because we are the church. We are the church. I go to a particular building on a particular day to gather because the Bible warns us not to forsake the gathering together of the believers, but we are the church. Our identity is not this building. Our identity is not this church in a building. It's Jesus. Jesus said he's the temple. What happens is, if you don't respect the temple then the glory of God departs. We don't have the time because it's getting late quickly, as always. <laughs> but if you want to go and read it, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and then chapter 4. Who knows about the sons of Eli? They were supposed to care for the things of God. They were supposed to be priests representing God's presence and mediators in between the people and the presence of God. And they messed some things up, right? You can go read the story. They got into some really crazy stuff. What they were doing is just shocking, but not so shocking when we keep hearing on the news over and over again what pastors do. And that's sad. That shouldn't make you happy or shouldn't make you feel like you picked the right denomination because you're not in theirs. should make you mourn for them. But we're not so far from what was happening and just, I'll read this one thing. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21, even not only did the sons die, the sons of Eli, but even his wife is dying, and she gets one chance to name her child, and she names him Ichabod, which means the glory is departed. Where's the glory? Israel's glory is gone. And we see a direct connection, Old Testament, to the glory of God connected to running the temple the right way. And that's all I have time for to point to, to that. I can get more into that another time. But the point is that there was no glory of God because even though the temple itself existed, they didn't do it the way that he asked them to. And the thing is, as Christians, is, that, is Christians could have worship services and they could have Bible studies and they can do all the right things and not do it the way that God asked them to do. And honestly, just for today, there's many things that we do and some things we don't do right. But just for today, the, the, the facet I really want to major on is if we don't do the, the, the growing, the getting his, his message out of us part right, and we just think it's for us, then the Holy Spirit says, well, I've got nothing more to do here because you seem like everything's perfect in your life. You got nothing to, you don't feel like you need to give anybody, then what am I wasting my time in your life for? And that might seem like a heavy and a harsh thing, but that's really what's happening. Because who has had something change in your life and you could not help but tell the people around you what he did? When the Holy Spirit is truly working on us, when we truly let him work on us, you don't have to try to be a preacher. <laughs> you don't have to try to share the gospel with your loved ones. It comes oozing out of every single part of you. It's all you're thinking about while you're having a conversation with somebody. When you hear them, then they're just spewing their issues and spewing their world. You're praying for them in your spirit. Even if you don't talk to them that very day, your spirit is instantly just starts to begin to pray for them if the Holy Spirit is truly residing in his temple where he wants to go. And, and I just, let's just speed ahead. So this is interesting. First of all, 
The temple and the glory of God, they work hand in hand. So Jesus says, forget the temple, forget the building. You guys messed that up. I'll do it. I'll be the building. They don't understand what that means. It means his body. He died, but then he rose again. Jesus is not dead. His body died. Jesus rose again. So the temple, the temple that was destroyed is risen. Come on, say the temple is risen. All right, so now Jesus comes to us. 2,000 years in the future, and he presents the message through a person. Just don't forget that it was through a person. I don't know if you watched it on TV or somebody on the street or a friend or family, or you, you might think, I found it on my own. Nobody told me anything. I just read a Bible one day that was put together by people and printed at a printing press and so on. I mean, God's been using people to further his kingdom. That's how it works. And so anyway, when that happened 2,000 years after this, Jesus said, hey, I want you to be a part of my temple and I'll be the representative here on the throne next to God and you be the temple representative on the earth, but we're one. You'll be the temple that they see on the earth. It'll be my glory sitting next to the Father at the right hand of the Father shining through you, but you be the temple. And by the way, I want you to put a three-car garage next to it, and you need a Range Rover and a Ferrari in the garage, and a golf course out back, and lots of vacations, because, you know, you're, I just, you got you got nothing but time on your hands. I'm just going to keep blessing you and, until you don't know what to do with it. He didn't say that, did he? Are those things technically bad or wrong in themselves? Not the things, but the heart that forgets what you are here for, which is to be the temple of God that has the glory of God for people to come to and get what they need just like you needed it. This is interesting. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, it says, John's talking about Jesus coming, and he says, I'm baptizing with water, but someone's coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to, I'm not worthy to be a slave and undo his sandals, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, referring to Jesus, referring to what he did with his disciples and what he does to us. Verse 21, one day when the crowds were being baptized. Jesus himself was baptized, and as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit, everybody say the Holy Spirit, it says in bodily form, descended on him. On who? You mean Jesus didn't even do what Jesus needed to do without the Holy Spirit? Come on, I know I'm a broken record sometimes. If you've been listening to me as, you're, as a preacher or listening on the podcast, you know I say these things a lot because that's the gospel. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, descended on him, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, immediately after this, everybody, I want you to read this out loud, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, then Jesus, what's this referring to? What just happened then, as in then, like after this moment, in the river of baptism where the Holy Spirit came, it says, now Jesus is what? Why is he full? 
I mean, it's a weird thought to think, was Jesus empty of him beforehand? But the Bible tells us that he, had a fi- that he came and filled him, and now Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And he said he was led by the Spirit. Jesus was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. Now let's look at this picture. Who's the temple? Jesus, right? Jesus said he's the temple. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus, just as the glory, as we looked in the past sermons, filled the tent, right? Tent of meeting, filled the tabernacle, then filled the building Solomon built, right? And then the Holy Spirit filled the new temple, the body. And Jesus is now showing his 12 disciples what it looks like. This is the temple. It's not that building over there. They've got it messed up. The building is not inherently wrong. It's that they've got the wrong heart. They got the, that thing messed up and they're back into just doing works and religion and going through the motions. And so it's me and it takes the Holy Spirit within me and then power came out of him. The Satan, Satan couldn't touch him until it was time. Doesn't mean you won't be touched. It just means that the Lord's going to be using it for his glory. If Satan has touched your life, then it's for his, God's glory. But Jesus walks on the waters, heals whoever he wants to, goes where the Holy Spirit is leading, and nothing and no one is stopping him. That's the picture of the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God. Just like we looked in Peter. Jesus showed the way. In fact, you can read it in Acts. We just talked about it in a Bible study. In the book of Acts, before they were even called Christians at Antioch, it was just called the way. Followers of the way. Of what way? What way are we talking about? Maybe the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe that way. Followers of the way. Jesus is a a way. He's a direction. Uh, He doesn't take away his personal blood. It's still his blood. He's still the son of God. He was still the unique one. As the Bible called, you look into the Hebrew, he was the special picture of God on earth through a human body, came in through virgin birth, and all the other truths remain the same. And yet, Jesus is also a way. He's the way to eternal life, which is not... The only thing that we are attaining to, he's the way to live on this earth until then. He's not just the way to eternal life. That's all we're giving people today is just here's here's eternal life. And that's why it's so flat and short. They don't know what to do after that. That's the reason they don't. Well, I guess I'll just attend a church and sing some songs and and I guess I don't know what to do. They don't know what to give people because they don't have anything to give people. The thing they say is, come to my church. Not come to Jesus. Come on, we've all been guilty of that. What are you doing? Come to church. They'll tell you about Jesus there. I'm serious, right? Oh, I have have a friend or family want to get saved. I hope they come to church. What does that even mean? You are the church. You are his temple. And in fact, 
It says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, same thing, verse 17. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that amazing? So pre-Old Testament, the glory fills the temple. We already looked at it. Who's the greater glory? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, okay, here's the body. I'm the temple. The Holy Spirit fills him. Then he anoints the disciples who are then said, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Of what? Of exact, an exact replica of what I made you. You are, these 11 disciples right here, are now an image of me, a picture of me, and the abilities that I have, and even the healing, and the power, and the authority that I have. Go and make disciples of yourself. People get weird. You say something like that, I mean, like, whoa, 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 take away from God. Then why does Paul call it my gospel, his own personal gospel? He's not taking away from God. He's just saying, hey, this is what God did in me. I'm going to give to you what he did in me. That's what our testimony is, right? When you share your testimony with somebody, you are sharing what God did in you. It's your story. It doesn't take anything away from God, but it's your story. And that's really what changes someone, isn't it? When the power of the gospel and the power of this mystery man who supposedly came in through a virgin, right? I mean, we believe it, but when you talk about it, that's why it says it's foolishness to the world. It does sound foolish to your human intellect. But when we give that to somebody, but then show them a life that's changed with it, there's power. There's power in what the Holy Spirit has done. You can't do it on your own. The temple is worthless. This temple is worthless without it being filled with the glory of God, without the Holy Spirit. Eventually, it's just going to get destroyed, just like it did in history. Come on, it's not hard to figure out. If we're not constantly, and, and we just don't have the time, but you can get into what the temple, what, it was, what was going on on a daily right? There was so much going on. And if we're that temple, then, then all of that's happening continually in us. And then finally, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians, the same thing. It says, for you are the temple of the living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. You are the temple of the living God. He's alive. He's dwelling inside you. It says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't God good? Isn't he amazing? I don't want to uh, add any more. I don't want to take away. I'm going to leave it there, and I'll pick it up in the next one. But I want just to let that soak in there, that that's who you are. Just get that, that that's who you are. He loves you. He's redeemed you. He cares about every little tiny detail of your lives, except, I mean, not except. Uh, meanwhile, 
He's doing all those things, but your life is for a purpose. Amen? Amen. We just thank you, God. I just pray that that word soaks down into our hearts, Lord. I pray you do an internal work inside of us, Lord. Lord, change us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in here. Just keep doing it. Keep filling us. Fill us with more. Take every room, Lord God. Every single room, Lord. The places in our hearts that we've blockaded off. The hurts. The pride. All those rooms, Lord God, that have been kept. These, this is my area. These are my issues. I pray, Lord, we just open every single door in our hearts for you, Holy Spirit, to come in and work in that place. And I thank you, Lord. It builds a testimony so that the glory of God can then come out of this temple and further your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.